you have your, uh, your Bible, and I, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we'll be reading from that in just a second. I just need to fill you in a little bit with where we have come from as to how we get to where we are this week as we're looking at our series, Real Life. It's a reminder of what it is that we exist to do and who we are as a church. Um, and so our vision as a church is to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley, as expressed by this acronym, real life, R being the redeemed life, E being the empowered life, A being the active life, and L being the listening life. And so rather than going through each of these letters in turn, um, I started in June going through a process of asking God some pretty, well, he, I would say they were big questions. I'm fairly sure he wouldn't see them in the same magnitude. Um, But they were fundamental for me because it took me through a process of actually seriously, um, if I'm honest, questioning as well as asking the question, well, why are we doing church? What is, frankly, what is the point? (laughs) And I mean, that might surprise you that as a pastor that we go through this process. And and I certainly did over the summer. And I shared last week how my vision when I was in my young 20s was basically to fill a room. And and we've done that this morning. You know, filling a room is is not difficult to do if if you have a big enough budget and enough enthusiasm and enough skill and talent. You can fill a room. You invite the right person to come and say the right things. That's not difficult to do. And so I started asking the question, but Lord, this isn't really what your scripture says that as a church we should be seeking, which is, is not just to fill a room. And I, and I shared last week how when God first put this, uh, this concept of the temple into the Old Testament, it was a place where the people would gather, that they, and the New Testament uses this word ecclesia, this gathering of his people would come to the temple because the temple was not just a representation of the Spirit and the presence of God, it was where God turned up. Lives were transformed, that people would come and they would pray and they would be forgiven and they would fully expect for God to turn up. And there was this, and it went into the New Testament, it was the Holy of Holies, where the tangible presence of God was in the room. And then we move through the New Testament, and, and we will read the scripture in a second, but then we have this idea that God uh, actually said, well, the, the old temple is gone. Jesus himself said, I'm going to destroy that temple because something new is going to happen, and this is what's going to happen. And he tells us in John that he is going to go, and we are going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. We are going to become the temple. We are going to be the ones that are the representation of the presence of forgiveness and transformation of God in the world. It's you and me if we believe in Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that used to turn up tangibly in a cloud or in fire in the temple, that that actually lives inside of us. And so Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away because this is what true church is going to look like. And then what we've done over the years is we've taken these concepts, we've taken these truths, and we've changed it. We've changed it into something that looks like church today. And so I started asking some questions. When we think about the glory and the presence and the transformational nature of God transferred into his people, and then we look at church and what we have made it, there's a disjoint. There's a massive disjoint. 
So here's, the, here's what I, I said last week, and I encourage you to listen to the message. What we've done is we've made church about our preferences rather than about God's priorities. And so I started reading the scripture, listening to sermons, reading some books, and really kind of praying and examining what are God's priorities when it comes to church. Not my preferences, because here's what happens when you have preferences. Is what happens is what we have in Kelowna. <laughs> we have a, a group of good-looking, great church buildings attended by people who, and I'm not questioning this, would be say they are the people of God, But we come with our preferences. And so if you remember last week, I talked about the rating system. And and, and we said, well, what we do is we come to a church and we rate it. Because we come with our preferences. Well, the child care is not quite as good here. Maybe it'll be better there. Or the music isn't quite where I would want it to be. um, So we're going to go over there. Or the teaching, wow, it's... It's, it's pretty, that's pretty uh, convicting or challenging. I think I'm going to go there. And so we rate it in our minds. We give it three or four or five stars. And depending on where the rating is, we shift. And I talked about how the church hyperventilates, that we breathe people in and then we breathe people out. And people move around the church in Kelowna. And then I said, it drives me insane because it is not what God described in his scripture. What we've done is we've taken our cultural preferences, applied them to church, and basically we vote with our money and our attendance as to whether or not that church is doing the job that our preferences would want it to be. And so as a pastor, you can very quickly get caught up with this. You get caught up with it because, as I said, church planting or church growth becomes doing something different than the church down the road, doing something slightly different or slightly better in the hope that Christians would come. And you get caught up with this because then you start spending money on it in the hope that the crowd, the people would fill the room. And then I came under great conviction over the summer because I had to ask the question, our lives being transformed? Our lives being transformed by us pandering to the preferences rather than making God's priorities number one. Are we doing a disservice to our kids by communicating to them that church is about whether we're doing things right rather than church being about God's priorities? And so this this tension between preference and priority causes us to rate church. And then as a pastor, we could easily get caught up with, well, let's just give them what they want. And can I tell you, that is exhausting because you all want something different. And generally on a Sunday, we have two-thirds of our, our overall church attending. And if you take that number and then you look at all the individual needs and all the individual preferences, it can literally drive you into the ground trying to meet all those preferences. So what would it look like if we said, uh, okay, we're not going to do the preference thing. We're going to make God the priority. God's priority is number one. And then people will either come and join or they won't. What would that look like? What would that church be like? And so we read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. I have a feeling my batteries may be running out. No? Are we good? Okay. I've got a battery. See that? Put it right there, ready to go. 
Let's read Acts 2, 42 to 47. And, and look at it through the lens of what is God's priority for church. What would his five-star rating be? And then we can kind of mentally assess and examine where we are at. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's just stop there. Because I spent my whole sermon last week talking about those first four words. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They, the church, devoted themselves to. And then we have this list, if you like, of things that they devoted themselves to. And I said when Jesus left, uh, was just about to go to the cross, he got his, uh, and and please listen, this is really important, he got his close-knit group together and said, okay, I'm going, it's to your advantage because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but here are a few things you need to know. You are going to do greater things than I have ever done. Okay, they must have gone, what? How on earth is that going to happen? Should I change mics? one works better. There you go. I always feel like I sound so much more mellow on this. Like this is late night radio voice. Isn't it? That's just frantic Sunday, you know, Monday morning voice. So I said that Jesus gathered his disciples together. He says, look, you're going to do greater things. You Listen, are going to turn the world upside down and here's how you're going to do it. You are going to get great childcare." You're going to get Disney characters. You're going to have a fantastic check-in system. You're going to have lots of windows and no windows at all. You are going to have amazing tech and microphones that work. Your worship is going to be modern and yet contemporary and traditional and old. You're going to have drums and no drums. You're going to have synth and no synth. You're not going to need anything at all. You're going to have a speaker that is convicting, funny, and is a little bit like, sound, like, like a, a Christian Seinfeld every Sunday, and he's going to captivate you for 15 minutes and no longer. Because we've got life to do, my friends. This is what Jesus said in John. This is how you're going to grow a church. No, he didn't. Those are our preferences. What Jesus actually said was essentially two things. The first thing he said is, you abide in me. He says, if you want people to come to know Jesus, if you want to turn the world upside down, your first prior preference is they devoted themselves. You, you and me, have got to abide in Jesus. That's our first calling. Because everything else won't work. Everything else becomes a program. It's very important that we understand that. If we don't devote ourselves to abiding in Jesus, first and foremost, everything else that I'm going to say today becomes a program that just becomes another time slot, that becomes another meeting, that will hold with an open hand to go, yeah, but you know, these other things are more of a priority, so I'm not going to do that this week. Unless we orient our lives and our hearts towards abiding Jesus first, then the rest of what I'm about to describe just becomes a formula that we can package and make a DVD and sell a book and have keychains and do all that that the world, our Christian world loves. It just becomes a program and ultimately it will fail. These things that I'm about to share emerge as we devote ourselves to abiding upon Jesus. It's so important. 
They naturally happen. So that's why last week I said, what does real church look like? What is God's priority? God's priority is abiding first and foremost in Jesus. And then let's carry on reading. It says in verse 3, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is God's priority for church right there. Right there. And if you actually spent some time, and I know some of the community groups have been doing that, you can identify roughly five or six priorities as communicated. And, and I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to tell you what they are. First thing you're going to see is that God's priority for church seems to be love, the togetherness. Then it's a commitment to the Word of God. Then it's communion and the Lord's Supper, in other words, the gospel. Then it's prayer. Then it's the Holy Spirit. So you've got these, these elements that all lead to an overriding mission. So let's just say that again. A church should be together, loving one another, on mission, praying with an awareness of the Holy Spirit, remembering the Lord's Supper, communion, and, 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 being, and being on mission. In each other's homes, day by day, everyday church, and also in the temples. So that's God's priority for church, but they devoted themselves to it. But there's a really interesting word in verse 43 that I just want to focus on just for a second. And I know I say it differently from you guys, and I can't remember how you pronounce it. So I'm just going to stick with the Brit way. Okay, and it's the word or, A-W-E. How do you say it? R. R. And R came, that doesn't make any sense. Or came upon every soul. Let's just pause for a second and think about this. Imagine church where you invite somebody to some expression of church. Could be a large gathering, should be a small gathering. But they leave with a sense of awe. What was that? What did I just come into connection with? What just happened? What did I just witness? Like, I don't know if we can actually scrape what this word means. It's, it, it's actually a reflection of the Old Testament glory filling the temple. That all came upon every soul. So Jesus, first and foremost, said in order for that to happen, there has to be a devotion, you and me, in our own time with abiding with Christ. But as I was thinking about this and praying it through and wondering how I should communicate this to a church that I love and and, and I'm so grateful for, I came to the realization that everything in this passage, I cannot do myself. There's only one thing I can do, which is devote myself. Everything else, I need you. We can't do it by ourselves. God never intended church to be done in isolation. He always intended it. Ecclesia means gathering together. And so I can't do it. I've tried, and I'll confess in all sincerity, I have tried by my own gifting and mediocre talent to drag 
this church towards the things of God. And I've realized that, and and this is obvious, that I'm not the Holy Spirit. I cannot do this myself. I cannot by myself grow a church. And then I'm so relieved when I look at what God said here that actually I'm not called to do it by myself. We're called to do it together. In fact, the togetherness will result in church growth. Now, we could talk for a long time about what that growth of church looks like. Does it look like filling a room? Well, no, because anybody can fill a room. I went in, in the summer, I saw Ed Sheeran, and this, this little British guy comes on stage with a guitar that is three-quarter size or half size, I don't know, and fills a room. Unbelievable how he did that. So with enough production and talent and skill, you can fill a room. And so if we're looking at church and we're looking at it and we're rating as to whether or not that church has been successful, if we look at noses and nickels, then we are looking at the wrong rating. Because what I read here is something very, very different. I actually see this togetherness and life together as being the way that you can gauge the success of the church. So God really convicted me. He said, Glenn, would you be happy never, ever leading a church of thousands if I gave you a church of a couple of hundred who were completely devoted to doing church like Acts 2, 42? See, that changes world. That changes towns. Acts 2, 42. And so I started to unpack this. And I went back to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, just before he leaves. And he said, look, abide in me. And here's what we do with this verse. We make it very, um, we make it wholly about ourselves, about our connection with God. And that's a good thing. But Jesus actually gives us some very specific ways in which we are to abide in him. So let's look at this. This is really important. John 15 verse 9. John 15, verse 9. This is where I spray water everywhere. There you go. John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And here's the words. Abide in my love. So we got that. Then he carries on. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So, just just listen to this for a second. Jesus says abide in him, but then he carries on to say this is how you abide in me. So it's not just about putting Jesus' culture in the background, a beautiful cup of coffee, a journal, and, and your Bible, and the right lighting, and a smoke machine in the background, and like now I'm ready to abide in Jesus. He actually says, okay, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to do it, verse 10, if you keep my commandments. So it's very concrete. Do this in order to get that. Then he carries on, tells us what his commandments is. Because if anything, if you're like me, I want to be very specific. Tell me how I abide in you, Jesus. Tell me what this looks like on a day-to-day basis. So in verse 12, he carries on. He actually says, this is my commandment. That your joy may be full, that you may abide in me. This is what I need you to do. That you love one another as I have loved you. 
you want to abide in me, if you want to have church that transforms cities, if you want to turn the world upside down, if you want to do greater things than I have done, then here's how you do it. Follow my command. You want to know what the command is? Just one command, love one another. Love one another. So let's just play with this a little minute. Let's turn it around. If you don't want to connect with God, don't love one another. If you want to connect with God, you have to connect with one another. I'm not saying anything that the scripture doesn't say. So you can, we can talk about loving God and abiding in him. But if we don't love what he loves, which is the church and one another, then we're never going to abide in God. That's what the scripture says. So the whole concept, and this is very popular these days. Well, I really love Jesus. I really love God, but I hate the church. No. Jesus says you cannot love Jesus. You cannot abide in him unless you love the church. Unless you love one another. Well, he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean church. He means other people in the world. No. No, no, no. He means the church. You guys, the disciples, have got to love one another. If you love one another, then you're following my commandment, and that commandment will result in you abiding in me, and you will turn the world upside down. So, we cannot abide in Jesus unless there is a one another. Now, remember in Acts chapter 2, it says they did all things together. They devoted themselves to being together. Not isolated by themselves, doing their own thing, listening to Matt Chandler podcasts. But actually gathering together as a church in homes and in temples, loving one another. And then all the glory of God filled the temple. Can you see that there's a priority in God's mind that I think as a church we completely miss? Follow my commandment. Follow my commandments. So let, let's, let's jump into this a little bit more. 1 John 3 and verse 10. 1 John 3 and verse 10. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God. So if you want to know who believes in Jesus, read on. And who are the children of the devil? You want to know who worships and follows Satan? Read on. Who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You want to know the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of faith and evidence of somebody's faith? How do they connect with the one another? How do they love one another? So we can talk all we want. We can sing all we want. But this is how we know, by our love for one another. And in John 17, Jesus starts his prayer. He says, look, abide in me, love one another, and now I'm going to pray for you. And so I just, I'm, just, I'm just showing you scripture here. I want to really show you that this is Jesus' priority, not my priority. John 17, verse 20. So this is Jesus praying. We actually get to listen to what Jesus' prayer is like to his Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their words. So he's saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples. He's praying for you and me. Okay? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
So Jesus is saying, I'm praying that their togetherness will be like the same togetherness that I have with you, Father. That they together will be so one, so united, so together, so loving one another, it will be like experiencing that same relationship that Jesus has with the Father. And then he carries on. Okay, he says, the glory, uh, sorry, so just as you, Father, are in me, verse 21, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe you have sent me. So let's just track through this. What is church? Church is God's priority. Acts 2, we can see a good semblance, the glory of God, lives being transformed. How is that going to happen? By a group of people devoting themselves to what? First and foremost, to Jesus abiding in him. What does that look like? That looks like following a commandment. What commandment? Loving one another. What happens if we love one another? then we abide in Jesus more. The more we love one another, the more connection we have to Jesus. So I need you in order to get closer to Jesus. And then what happens? They will believe. They will believe. What do we do? We say, well, we need a big budget, we need a building, and we need Disney characters. We need good music, and we need a funny Seinfeld-type preacher who's only going to preach for 15 minutes because I've got stuff to do. I need a time slot that's going to suit me so that I can carry on with my interests and it just becomes part of my activity. That's what we need. If we do that really well, then the church will grow. And then they will know. Except here was where my stumbling block came into the church. They're not knowing. People aren't being transformed. Not as much as I believe God wants. How is that going to happen? It's by you and me loving one another. Then the church will know. Uh, Sorry, then the world will know. This was Jesus' prayer. We were created to be connected. And that's not just some cheesy strap line. It's true. We were created to be connected with one another, to love one another, to not be in isolation, to actually seek ways in which we can bless each other and be committed to one another. And then look what happens. The world will know. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There it is again, just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, not programs, not a funny preacher, not great worship, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we've seen in Jesus' prayer, we've seen it in 1 John, and we've seen it in John, that Jesus' priority is we abide one another as shown through loving one another. To see the world change. This is how it will happen, not through programs. Us being together. So here's why this is difficult for somebody like me. I can't make this happen. I can't make you love one another. 30 seconds turning around and serving and say, hey, let's just spend a couple of minutes saying hi to one another. That is not the fulfillment of the commandment. Us coming into a church and a large gathering on a Sunday morning and sitting with the same person that we sit with every week and speaking to the same people we speak to every week at the end, our little groups, and then going 
is not loving one another. It's great. We encourage, well, not the clicky bit. We don't encourage that. We want you to kind of spend time with one another. But our proclivity towards that is not the expression of Jesus, what Jesus is saying here about loving one another. Loving one another is so much more and so much deeper. And I can't make that happen. I can't make you like one another. Never mind love one another. It emerges. It happens as you devote yourselves to what Jesus loves. It comes naturally. I thought about the church, the South, and I have to say in some 25 years of ministry, I can hand on heart say I've never been in a more loving church. The way that I've seen lives being supported and cared for, prayed for, provided for, loved on, wept with, shoulder to shoulder, is remarkable in this place. You ask people who what they remember about the South, most times they'll say how friendly it is, but it's more than being friendly. There's a sense of community here that I'm very, very proud of. I think that's okay. And I glance around the room and I, and I see different lives, many of whom have been here for a, a chunk of time. And I can think of ways in which they have appreciated and enjoyed one another's love. I can't do that. One of the criticisms pastors get is that, well, you're, you're, not, you're not visiting everybody. I can't physically visit everybody as much as everybody wants to be visited. But we can together. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. And it does happen. I think of people going through illnesses or, or, or um, bereavements or changes of lives or crises. And, and I can think, and I started thinking of all the different examples of the ways in which this church has been that one another, loving one another. And it's incredible. And I'm very, very grateful. And then I think about Jesus' words here and go, well, how is that going to change the world? Because the world has no equivalent of that. All they have is systems and politics and social stuff, and, and it fails. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Some of it's wrong, but it fails because it's not motivated by love. And so the world needs to look at the church and go, how is that even possible? Think about Acts chapter 2, that they were actually selling possessions. It's like, okay, your need is so great, and I have no money. So I'm going to sell stuff to give you money so you can be provided for. How is that even possible? Or would fill the temple. Where we could live life in such a way where we are there for one another in more than just a, hey, let's do coffee sometime. Never going to do it, but let's do it sometime. But actually proper life together. How does that happen? Is it through doing barbecues every other month? No. You can't make it happen. I cannot make it happen. I was uh, for many years involved in, in rugby in different, different ways. Used to play it and then, and then coach and and I love, I love rugby. There's, there's, it's just one of those purest sports, I think, because there's something about 
breaking bones and bleeding with one another that actually seems to be just fantastic. I don't know. And I'm from the age of, it's certainly where I used to live, if you're from this big, you'd have a rugby ball, you know, and, and that's the way it worked. And, and I love everything about the sport. There's just, it's just this beauty about, they're not beautiful, trust me. If you've ever spent any time looking at professional rugby players, they are far from beautiful, but they are gladiators. They're, which is obviously why I got involved. Um, but I remember joining teams and not knowing anybody in the team. And the first thing that people would say is, you know, well, how much have you played or whatever? And then they go, what position do you play? And then they're going to assess your character based on your position. Because, you know, I'm not going to get into any of the positions because there are some rugby players in the, in, in the, and I need to be careful. But there are certain positions where you can kind of assess what kind of person they are. And, uh, and there are certain positions where you go, okay, I, I'm, you're, you're obviously one of the mental ones because you don't mind getting hurt. Or, you know, this, the, that's the kind of assessment you make. And you kind of make this assessment. But I remember joining teams and there was this awkwardness about the team until you played your first game together. And then that seemed to dissipate within 80 minutes. Somebody who you didn't know, when you literally bleed with them or hurt, or you have to protect them, suddenly there's a one-anotherness that was, is there that wasn't there before. By the end of the season, you are so tight and so close, you don't know how you're actually going to live life without this group. How did that come about? Was it by the captain going, okay, let's do some, uh, let's do some icebreakers. Okay, uh, what's your favorite hobby? And uh, what's the most interesting thing you've done in your life? You know, we never did that. We threw us a ball and went, right, go and fight. Go tackle one another. Go, let's go play together. So I started thinking about this and realized of example after example in history that in the deepest times of war, when you're in a trench with one another, that's when true togetherness happens, right? We have no equivalent of that in the church. In certain parts in the church in the West, certain parts of the world we do. If you think of the Chinese church, for example, they, they really do. And there are hundreds of millions of people coming to know Jesus in China by their one another together. Some of them share a page of scripture under a faint bulb in somebody's basement. And they pass that page around home to home so they can read some scripture. Because if they get found out, then they can lose everything. See, they have been persecuted in such a real way while they're on mission that it creates this togetherness that causes the church to explode. So the more the state tries to press down the church, the more it's exploding because the more you press, the more together they become and the more it grows, the scripture being fulfilled. But in the West, everything is so freaking comfortable. It's like, oh, well, fit it in, maybe. You know, if the child cares, good. The worship is all right. And so we, we lack that. So here's what I'm getting to. We have to create an environment in this church where there's a togetherness, a one anotherness. And the only place that I can think of that happening is in community groups. When we gather a group of people, this happened on Tuesday. We, we started our community group again on Tuesday night, and some people joined. They didn't know one another, and they sit there, and we start talking about mission. What is our mission? 
Is our mission to be a codependent, holy huddle, nobody welcome, because I'm going to share my story with you, and I don't want anybody else to come in and hear my story anymore. That's not mission. Mission is, what can I do to share Jesus Christ with my neighbors? And it's going to be awkward, it's going to be strange, and we may have to spiritually bleed with one another, but that togetherness is going to come about. People are going to come to know Jesus through that, through community groups. And then I started thinking about all the different examples in my mind of the times that people have loved on one another in this church, and there's a commonality. Community group, community group, community group, community group. I'm so grateful that the majority of you are in community groups, but not all of you are. Some of you are kind of in a community group. Well, we are, but life's really busy. So I want to encourage you. The way this church is going to really fulfill the mandate, the priority of God, to love, to seek his word, to be on mission, to share communion with one another, remember the gospel, to pray and to see the Holy Spirit move. The proof of us being one, the proof of us being together is going to happen, not on large gatherings like this, but every day in the week when we are actually doing life together. So if you're not in a community group, I really want to encourage you and say this. Unless you actually take that step to connect with somebody who may be in this room to love and to spend time and and life together, you are not going to abide in Christ. Your children are not going to be brought up in a community and in a family that understands the actual command of Jesus, which is to love one another. You can send them to youth, but they're going to look at mum and dad. And they're going to go, what did they prioritize? What was their tribe? What was their priority? Their priority seemed to be, man, that group they were part of, their church. We did some, like, we did some really crazy things when we were kids. My mom and dad used to take me to places to serve people in our community. There just seemed to be this, this tightness. Are they seeing that? That's the best youth work we could do, mums and dads. It's to bring our kids up in an environment where it hurts a bit. And they're going to need one another. And so just like that game of rugby, by the end, when we actually come before Jesus, I'm believing that many, many, many people are going to get well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe there are many people in this church for which I'm very grateful it will be well done, good and faithful servant. You have given your life to one another. But it'll be the end of that game, I promise you that togetherness comes through challenge and difficulty. And so community group leaders, I've been in connection with them now over the last month, sending them videos. I'm sure they're really tired of them, but there we go. Saying, look, this is what maybe community group should look like. Maybe community group is about studying the Word of God, praying, all those things, communion, one another's homes, all those good things. But is your community group actually positioning itself to share the gospel with people? Are you actually going out of our comfort zones and doing that? Because the more I read the scripture, the more I see that that is God's priority. Because we have every other method at our disposal. And friends, it doesn't seem to work as well as I really wish it would. And I could spend a long time talking about the advantages of being together. But just a quick read of Acts chapter 2, you'll, you'll see the advantage. The proof the world of the existence of Jesus Christ, as said by Jesus Christ himself, is that we would be one and love one another. 
what does that look like? It looks like us being willy, willing to gather together, position ourselves, and be in community. So here's the problem we have. Our culture does not celebrate community. We try hard. But I was sharing in the prayer room this morning, I was thinking about when I was a kid, it used to be quite common to sit on your front lawn with your neighbor and chat about stuff or lean on the garden fence and talk. And there's this sense of community. Now we shut our doors, triple glazing, don't talk to me unless social media. Don't even call me. Like, who, who phones anymore? Mad text, please. Like we, we encourage this distancing, this independence. And then enthusiastic, bouncy Pastor Glenn comes in the room and goes, hey, join a group. It's going to be great. And everything inside you is going, oh, no, are you kidding me? I'd hate that. I want you just to maybe just consider that perhaps the labels we put on ourselves, like, well, I'm an introvert. Yeah, okay, but you can be an introvert with other people. Get a whole group of introverts together and sit in silence. I don't care. <laughs> Find groups of introverts to be missional to. Just, no, I'm, I'm exaggerating. That's not what introverts are like. But we use excuses. Oh, I could never do that. And then I think about what some of the things are that you do. Some of you, all of you, are incredible. You're running businesses, you're running busy families, you are juggling, you are multitasking, you are leaders in the community, you're volunteering in the community, and then in the same breath they go, oh, I could never do that. Let's, let's just think, what is God's calling for us? What's a tangible way that today you could take a step forward and go, I want to be part of his mission? Well, according to the scriptures, a tangible way would be to get involved in your community group. If you are connected to a community group, start going. Commit to it. Devote yourself. Remember Acts chapter 2? Devote yourself to that community group. And then start asking your community group leader, what are we doing missionally? And they'll go, oh, they've been listening to Glenn. We have a lot of community groups in this church. There's lots to join. If you are not part of a community group, join one. If you want to be part of this church, it's going to get to the place where the only way you can be truly part of this church is to be in a community group. Otherwise, you're welcome, but it will be, you will be part of the crowd. And we love our crowd. But to be truly on mission, you've got to be part of a community group. Do you realize in our youth department, we have over 150 care groups, community groups? 150 of them. We have hundreds of youth in our city that are being discipled by young adults. And it's this constant evolving of, of community groups and care groups and this beautiful discipleship that happens. They set an example to us because life gets busy for us. And we go, oh, I just haven't got the time for that. Oh, It's almost like saying I haven't got the time to abide in Jesus. I just haven't got the time. It's too busy. Glenn, you don't understand how busy my life is. Well, you will have to adjust your life if you're serious about this. You will have to. But then I do seem to remember Jesus saying words like, pick up your cross and follow me. And the world's going to hate you. And they're not going to understand. You're going to get persecuted. But they will know you. And they will know me, Jesus said. By your love for one another, and there will be well done, good and faithful servant. You got it. 
And it might be that you just see one person come to know Jesus through your willingness to put yourself out there. That's fine. That's fine. But that's where I'm getting to as pastor of this church where we need to be. So, I'm going to be stood by the connection booth over there um, to answer any questions about community group. We haven't got everything all like, you know how we like systems? We haven't got that perfectly down yet, have we, Pete? So, but you know what, that's part of, that's part of the fun. It's just training you for the persecution that's coming later. The kind of the hecticness, we will get you in a group. And, and we may not be able to accommodate everything. I do remember with some smile on my face, somebody saying to me that they, and they're not in this church anymore, but they wanted a particular community group and it had to be within a certain distance of their home because they wanted to walk and not use their car. And it had to be on a certain night and it had to have childcare provided. And we went, mm, sorry, we haven't got any of those things. And they went, oh, okay, well, and off they went. We, we can't do that. There has to be some adjustment. We will do our very best, but be part of your community group. And if you are, start praying and believing for ways in which we can actually fight for this incredible cause together. Amen? Next week, I'm going to talk about empowerment. Because Jesus said, abide in me, love one another, and then he didn't leave us hanging. He said, and I'm going to give you everything you need in order to do those two things. So that's, that's what we're talking about next week, and I hope that you'll be able to come out next week and hear that. But for now, we're going to have the full band come, and uh, we're going to celebrate and praise Jesus. And then, as I said, I will be out there to answer any questions that you may have. You know, I've made a commitment that every time I preach, it's important for me to remember that there are people in the room who may not know Jesus. And we could talk about the church family and we can talk about one anotherness, but at the end of the day, you may have come in today with lots of questions and not understanding. And the whole concept of family is completely alien to you. Because your thinking of what family is like is actually causes pain to you. And I want to finish by making sure you understand that this family starts with an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That that same Jesus who gave his life, he did so because of his love and passion and commitment to what God the Father asked him to do, which is to give his life so that we, who truly deserve, because I... I, I know who I am and I know the things that I've done and I know the things that I've said and the things that I've thought and the things that I've planned and they bring shame to me which makes it all the more incredible that Jesus would be willing to die so that I don't get the punishment that I truly deserve. So you might come in with this idea of well I think I might be able to work my way in. That's not how it works. Jesus says come and just receive this free gift, this grace. But it starts with recognizing what happened on the cross. Sometimes we share communion and Lord's Supper, and, and it's just remembering that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved us so passionately, so completely, that he gave his life and took the wrath, the punishment that we, you and I, truly deserve so we could be accepted so we could be loved. 
And we say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. Why doesn't God just forgive everybody? Well, God is perfectly loving. He's also perfectly just. And he would not be a loving God unless he was a just God and, and disciplined and, and, and brought punishment for those things that have been sinned against him. But that's where Jesus comes in and says, I'll take that punishment. And so, as a church, that's our priority. All that I have shared this morning has been about bringing that truth, that good news to a community. But if you're here this morning and that is not a reality for you, then I want to encourage you that the well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, the opposite to that is, I didn't know you. Don't leave here today with the being unsure whether or not you'd get well done or I didn't know you. And so as we're singing and, and we're going to be led by this team in a second, I want to encourage you to, to pray about that, to think about that. And maybe God's speaking to you about it, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can receive forgiveness. Today is the day you can come into the family and we can be together. And if that has if that does happen, if that is a prayer that you pray, then please come and tell me. And we'll pray for you. There'll be people available at the end to pray with you. We'd love to do that. But don't leave here not sure. Well done. Or I didn't know you.